yes, there are many people who have a concept of what good writing is, and they are entitled to that concept. But good teaching is where our focus is, and how do we have constant improvement in teaching. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, I know you can see what I have in my hands, but I know our listeners cannot. Tell me what I have in my hands. It's it's a book probably no one will ever read. I don't think that <laughs> is true. Well, it is true that it is a book, but I know for a fact that hundreds, if not thousands of people have been waiting with anticipation for this book to finally come out. And this is your book, however imperfectly, Lessons Learned from 30 Years of Teaching, and other articles by Andrew Poudois. It's mostly other articles, I think. (laughs) So 30 years of teaching. Have you really been teaching for 30 years? Well, yeah, maybe even a little bit longer. It just depends on when you start counting, you know, in terms of when is your kid ready to start schooling. Uh And then, you know, I had uh, various jobs before them. But I kind of marked it as 87 that I launched out on my own as an independent, self-employed violin teacher, also learned kinder music, and then started teaching some writing classes on the side to supplement that, and then started homeschooling right around that time. So Right. Okay. So you, as you mentioned in this book and a couple of the articles, you started out teaching as a music teacher. Yeah, that's it. My only real formal training is as a Suzuki violin instructor. I lived in Japan for three years and studied with Dr. Suzuki. And then I returned and worked for an organization in Philadelphia, the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. I taught a little bit of violin there. Mostly I was working in the clinic training to work with the families of brain injured children, teach them programs of treatment to do at home. So although you may not have any formal degrees in, quote, education, those six years of instruction that you were given that was poured into you by Dr. Suzuki and then Glenn Doman, I would think that that's a lot of teacher training that you got. Well, it just depends on how you view it. Mm -hmm. It's definitely eclectic. It's different (laughs) than the normal. Mm -hmm. But I feel it was kind of providential, mm-hmm. you know, that that I walked this alternative path of mm-hmm. working for different organizations, nonprofits, going to Japan. It really formed and shaped my way of thinking in so many ways. So I did, I guess, make an end run around the, the kind of standard path that a lot of people take. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the, I guess, imperfect 
nature. <laughs> right. So, so talk a little bit about the title. Why, however imperfectly? Well, last summer I was asked to、uh, do some keynote talks in different conventions, and I knew I wanted to come up with some kind of new title that would give me the flexibility to、mm-hmm. do keynote types of philosophical and、mm-hmm. foundational ideas. And I realized it was about thirty years since I had started this business of teaching kids and teaching my kids and teaching other people's kids in a formal, full-time way. And so I listed seven things that I had learned over these thirty years. And as I was kind of going over it in my mind, I thought, you know, I haven't done this. Perfectly,、mm, right. <laughs>、uh, and but I still have been able to, I think, help many people, bless many children, see my own children all homeschool and graduate, and seemingly doing relatively well. And so, I just kind of started on this theme that, kind of from that well-known Chesterton quote, "Anything worth doing is worth doing badly or poorly." Depending on who quotes him,、mm-hmm. and and I was thinking he didn't mean badly. No, nobody wants to do something badly, but imperfectly, right? And so that's where the title came from, and the talk I think came out quite well. Those seven points, and I did it a number of times, and、mm-hmm. we recorded it right here. Yes, we did for a, a public audience in our lovely studio space that、mm-hmm. we have here in. Tulsa area, and then I think it was you. Somebody suggested <laughs> I write that whole thing out,、mm-hmm. which was oh no, you're kidding me. Because <laughs> anyone who knows me knows I really I am a professional talker. I would rather talk than write. In fact, I would rather do almost anything than write. <laughs> you can relate to those boys that you talk about who'd rather scrub all the toilets in the building twice. Oh, can I? I <laughs> I've met people who write for fun, but I don't understand them. <laughs> anyway, so I I cranked that thing out.、It、turned out to be a lot longer than I had expected, and then、mm-hmm. I don't know some of one of us I don't really remember who said, "Well, let's combine this with everything else you wrote over the past." Thirty years,、mm-hmm. <laughs> make a book.、Mm-hmm. I think my first thought is, well, there's not enough to make <laughs> a book because I haven't, you know, I've avoided writing things as much as possible. I I don't know how many articles I could come up with that would be actually worth putting in a book. It looks longer than I expected. How long is it? Well, there are three hundred and thirty-seven pages.、There、oh my! Are, there are over fifty articles in this collection. And I do think it's somewhat ironic. Perhaps by the time this podcast is launched, we will update the picture. But we just kind of guessed how fat the spine would be, and put the picture on our website. And I'm going to say that this book is probably twice as thick as what we originally thought it was going to be,、oh. just because you've got a lot of great content. What I find, just because I know you, I've worked with you now for 11 years, that the title, however imperfectly, suits you so well because you tend to be a perfectionist. I think it's the reason why you don't like to write because 
sometimes it's hard for you to put yourself out there without it being perfect the first time. Mm-hmm. And the second time, third time. <laughs> or, you know, I'm honestly afraid to read this because I'll read something I wrote 20 years ago and think, that sounds so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have our editors scrutinize every article and we made sure that the articles that we included made you look smarter than perhaps you actually might be, as Mm. is our philosophy here at IEW. We want to appear smarter than we actually are. (laughs) Well, this is very interesting because I'm randomly turning to page 83, and I see this article, Why and How Music Will Save the World. And it's dated 2013. That must have been a revision because Mm -hmm. this particular article, I think, was the very first article I ever wrote and published in my newsletter yep. when I had my little preschool slash violin kinder music studio called Bozeman Talent Education. Right. And I used to try to do a newsletter a few times a year for really just the parents and then promotional purposes, anyone who was interested. I remember writing this. I think this is so old I wrote it before I had ever even met Dr. Webster. <laughs> Could be. And occasionally we'll get requests from magazines who want to publish an article. And I think this is probably such an example of that where you felt like it needed to be updated a little bit. So we included the updated version of that article. Yeah, yeah. And there's these cute little illustrations for each one. Yes. By our very own Hannah Pennington. Yes, we just in the last year or so hired our own illustrator who is a friend of yours from years ago, who's grown up to now be working for us. Yeah, it's so delightful. You know, when we moved here, there were a good number of children in the community where we were living. And so I just started classes, and they were all about 10 years old, 11 years old. And that was eight years ago, and now they're all grown up, and many of them are working for us. And what a profound delight for me that is yes it is so she put some good work into this i'm looking at this one from 2013 called that puppy won't fly (laughs) yes the core problem with educational standards today and she's got a cute little puppy with wings (laughs) right (laughs) which probably aren't big enough to airlift that dog (laughs) that's right yeah beautiful well this also includes the dvd of the live talk. That's correct. So when you purchase this book, and we'll talk in a moment, the three different ways that you can get this book, you get all of these articles, all 300 pages, all the cute little illustrations that Hannah did, as well as the recording, a DVD recording of your talk, however imperfectly. Wow, this is so nostalgic for me. I, I remember each one of these and what brought it on I'm looking at some of the older titles, What or That, 2008. Yeah, so talk about that particular article. Why did you write that? Well, it's a a commentary on the problem of kids writing reports. Mm -hmm. And in our Unit 4, I point out that I think it's more important that a child make the choice of the facts that they include in their report than what facts they choose because Mm -hmm. in making the choice, they gain – the confidence, the experience, the skill of making choices. And if they're very worried about choosing the facts that you want them to choose, 
they'll kind of wait around for you to tell them. So that made it into a little article. I, I've, of course, have done a lot of talk on music. So mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. several music is not nice. Oh, this one. This one, good writing versus great teaching. Mm-hmm. This one came about as a result of an article in a national magazine that was called The Right Stuff, which isn't a terribly original title. Right. It's probably been used a hundred <laughs> times because right. of the, the homophone right and right. right. So exactly. it was, you know, the W-R-I-T-E stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about writing and it was indirectly criticizing our program by lifting sentences out of our seminar workbook at the time and then saying this is a bad example of a sentence because of blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. This was written by a, a journalist, a well-known man I respect very much, and he was pointing out that good writing, according to a journalist, is not this and this program wouldn't get you that. I thought, I, I realized our business is not to carve little journalists. Right. Our business is to give kids the linguistic marble that they need to be carved by someone into something. And maybe they will become a journalist or maybe they will become an historian or maybe they will go into business writing or maybe they'll write children's books like Alexander's Horrible, Terrible, Awful, No Good, Miserable (laughs) Day, whatever the title is. I don't know. But His criticism made me realize that he's looking at it from a product point of view, whereas what I'm looking at it is the process of getting a kid to fall in love with words and fall in love with writing. And I don't really want little 10-year-olds to be trying to limit themselves to what a journalist might think. The beautiful irony is that I personally know of a few students who grew up doing IEW in their homeschool yes, and then went and became interns for this magazine and yes. their organization and were praised for their excellent writing. Interesting, yes. So I think I sent it off to him and I, don't, I didn't ever get a rebuttal and I thought, well, I wrote it. I might as well use it. So right. I think we threw that in one of our Right. Newsletters. And when, when you mentioned journalists, I can't help but think of our own Megan Horst, who is the publisher of our Magnum Opus magazine. Speak to that for a well, moment. Well, yes. And she was a journalism major and doing internships for commercial publications. She grew up, Laura House's daughter grew up uh, doing IEW, wrote a novel that was published at 17 or something. So, you know, I think I'm vindicated there. <laughs> yes. You know, that good writing... Yes, there are many people who have a concept of what good writing is, and they are entitled to that concept. Mm -hmm. And it may be different depending on what field they're in. Right. But good teaching, you know, is where our focus is. And how do we have constant improvement in in teaching? So many uh, nostalgic things in here. It's times like these that I wish we had a video camera in here uh-huh. because it's so enjoyable for me to watch you paging <laughs> through this book because, dear listeners, he's never even seen this book before. Well, I've seen PDF things that yes. I didn't <laughs> examine too care. This is great. This is the article 2012 called You Don't Have to Like It. Yes. And the illustration Hannah has put is a, a ball and chain with an ankle 
shackle. Yes. <laughs> and, and the first sentence of this article is, I don't really like to write. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you said earlier. <laughs> you know, I'm a little nervous because somebody somewhere is going to read something and say, oh, that's a bad sentence or mm-hmm. this is a bad construction or, you know, they're going to find fault with it. The perfectionist tendency is coming out right now. And it is frustrating. You know, people write to me and they say, it makes me very nervous to, to write an email or write a letter to you. And and I write back and say, it makes me nervous to be me. I mean, right. when you put your title, you know, director, Institute for Excellence in Writing, you're kind of like, well, I must be perfect. Right. <laughs> so I think there's a beautiful irony because even the book itself will be however imperfectly right. we did it. But yeah, the the title, the table of contents. Oh, and you've even got the the free downloads. Yeah. So mention what what free downloads we included. Okay. With this wow, I didn't know we were giving away all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, we're not entirely. I mean, we are actually giving it away. But I have talks that are recorded, uh, conference talks generally, about an hour in length, classical approach in the modern world, but, but, but what about grammar, nurturing competent communicators is probably the most important ever, four deadly errors, freedomship and entrepreneurial education, reaching writers, seven keys of great teaching, teaching and evaluating writing, teaching boys and other children who would rather make forts all day. So that's like a whole conference and a half worth of audios. Yeah, we actually chose 10 talks Uh that we thought would mirror or complement so many of the articles that you wrote. Uh Oh, nice, nice. And there's so many more articles here. The Work of a Child, Hate of Learning, (laughs) One Cause and a Possible Remedy, there's your article in there on dyslexia. Which oh, I think thoughts is on dyslexia, really yes. Really a really helpful article for so many of our families and teachers. Mm-hmm. Bad writing versus bad circumstances. I don't remember doing that one. <laughs> I'll have to read it, find yeah, out what I said. See what you said. What, what are we really doing here? Mm-hmm. That was almost 10 years ago. How to think mixed-age classrooms. I don't remember that too well. What about grammar? That's a great... Oh, but it's so, so awkward. Mm-hmm. That, I think, was really seminal because there's kind of this symbiosis between the talks I give and then the questions that come after those talks right. and then the revision of that talk and then a piece of that talk that gets written into an article. Because, you know, if you speak for an hour and you speak around 100 words a minute, which is a reasonable speed for me, that's five, 6,000 words. Well, <laughs> you can't really transcribe the whole thing, plus you wouldn't want to because so much editing would be required. So then that, that 5,000 words, you know, a piece of that then gets written into a 1,200-word newsletter article or something. Mm-hmm. And so there's this symb- symbiotic distillation process between the writing and the speaking and the teaching and the answering questions and the revision of that. So I'm sure if I live another 10 years, I will read everything and think, well, I could have done better. Um, <laughs> but then that's a good sign, right? Yes, that's right. That means I mean, you, you wouldn't want to read something you wrote 20 years and you say, well, that's the best I ever did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. The goal of being a lifelong learner. I do remember when you were working on this article, just a couple comments. We actually did a podcast in January on seasonal affective disorder. 
Uh-huh. And you had mentioned that you were working on an article, and we didn't mention what article it was, but it was this however imperfectly oh. article. And you were saying that it was just steeping. You were just letting the ideas <laughs> percolate in your mind so that it could become more fluid as you began to write. And I thought, oh, that's a good one. Great for procrastinating. Just say that you're steeping on your ideas. But I also remember when you did get pen to paper, figuratively, and started working on this article, you were concerned that it was so long. Because so often, as the marketing director and asking you to write articles for our Magalog or other articles for other publications, there's a word limit. But there was no word limit on this one. You could write as long as you wanted. And I think this is the longest article in the book. 19 pages. Yeah, it is the longest for sure. But definitely worth the real estate on the book to get all your thoughts down, all seven ideas. Yep. And all the way back, <laughs> the the last one in the book is the first one that I wrote, I guess, or or wrote and wasn't didn't re revisit. It was the six trait writing assessment model? That's right. Yeah, talk about that for a little bit. Well, that's really kind of what launched IEW into the bigger world, particularly connecting with the world of schools. Because at that time, I wrote this in 1998, Mm -hmm. so I hadn't even gone full-time. I was still full-time teaching music and trying to muster up some people to pay for a writing seminar a weekend or two a month. And that was the time that we met, Andrew. Is that the time? That's right. Wow. And you you were at Biola then. Yep. And I had got a call from a school district in Alaska that said, do you know anything about the six trait writing assessment model? And I said to myself, if this means business, I can certainly learn about that. Right, exactly. So I did, and I discovered you know, what it was and how it was being used and the frustration. I saw immediately the frustration that the school district was having in using what was, I would say, a fairly valid assessment model as now a teaching curricular mm. approach. Right. And – you know, that's always the problem is as soon as you create an assessment, the human tendency is, well, let's teach toward the test, which sometimes can be valid and good. But in this case, the language being used for the assessment was just not language that was concrete enough to communicate to kids, how do you do that, right? How do you have voice in your writing? (laughs) Explain that to a nine-year-old. What is even the word mean besides words that come out of your mouth. Yeah. So anyway, I went to, I actually went to a full day six trait writing assessment model teacher in service Mm -hmm. and watched them essentially just pull examples from children's literature and say, this is good voice. This is good sentence fluency. Oh, do you see this organization? Oh, do you see ideas and content? But virtually nothing that a teacher could take away from that and then go give students concrete methods of accomplishing any of that. And then I thought, but I know how to do that because our structure and style program, Webster's program, if you teach this, you get that. If you teach this, you'll get that other thing, right? If you teach sentence openers, it's concrete, it's black and white, any 10-year-old can learn it. 
right? You get sentence fluency, right? If you use the dress-up techniques with the banned words list, you get better word choice. Right. And so I wrote that thing essentially as a backup for my sales pitch <laughs> to the school district saying, yes, I can help you with that problem. And, and I think the six traits is still around. I think it's become six plus one, mm-hmm. the plus one being, I believe, presentation or something. And there are some schools that still, you know, are using or aware or influenced by this to some degree. But it's funny because just more recently we did essentially the same thing with the Common Core State Standards Initiative Standards for Language Arts. Right. Which is, okay, let's read those things. They are, I must confess, a bit vague. Mm-hmm. When you read them, you kind of say, hmm, so what exactly is the difference between, say, the grade 4 standard and the grade 7 standard, except that the grade 7 standard has more words? Right. And I think that's convenient that they're a bit vague because then people can say, yes, we, we taught to these standards or mm-hmm. whatever. But what we did, of course, is take our very concrete and specific IEW structure and style processes and say, aha, you teach this, you get that standard. You teach mm-hmm. this, you get that standard. So we didn't change anything that we do. We just connected the dots there right. and pretty much covered everything with, I think, the exception of their technology right. section. So if a school is in a situation of being required to meet Common Core standards or teach to Common Core standards, we can help them do that with total confidence and better success, which is kind of exactly where I started 30 years ago. Right. <laughs> so I guess it proves there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> nothing new under the sun. Well, I did want to take just these last few minutes and let our listeners know how they can obtain their own copy of However Imperfectly, you can do one of three things. You can go to a homeschool convention this year and pick up one of our cards, because we're actually not selling any products at conventions this year. We're just talking to people, letting them know about who we are, what we do, and then giving them a special convention bonus card where if you purchase anything from IEW, up to $50 or more, you get free shipping and you can get this book absolutely free. So that's Get Ye to a Homeschool Convention, which I believe is one of the articles in your book, Andrew. I think it is. Yes. Why to go to a homeschool conference. Right. The other way that you can get this book is if you are a premium subscriber, you will find tucked in your premium subscription PDF downloads a coupon to get a free copy of this book. So we will send them this book yes. at no cost, right. this $25 book and DVD, right? just because they're already premium subscribers? Correct. And anybody that is yet to become a premium subscriber, that coupon will be in their, in their file. And you're the marketing director who decided this, huh? I do believe I consulted with my boss <laughs> well, to I make guess, sure that was okay. Um, we could subtitle that deal however generously. However generously, <laughs> right. And if you are not a premium subscriber or have no intention of visiting a homeschool conference this year, that's fine. You can buy it for $25. Yeah. Can you get it on Amazon? 
Yes, you can get it on Amazon. And many of our other resellers also carry this book, so you can buy it from us. And we have a dozen, dozen resellers who carry our products that you can buy this from them as well for $25. And if people pay an extra $100, i will autograph No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, occasionally we are having little bonuses where we're giving away autograph copies. So you'll just have to look on our social media. We are promoting something like that that on Facebook or Instagram or some of our other social media channels. So, yep. Well, I just want to thank you, Julie, for making this project happen because this took a lot of work on a lot of people's part. Now I can finally say, yes, I wrote a book, which I was never really wanting to do. Well, and, you know, this is not the first book you've written, but it's certainly this this is the first book of this sort that you have published. And, of course, I did not do this alone. I have an amazing team that helps me do what I do to help you at IEW. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.